Hello, Southridge. It's such a joy to be able to share with you today as part of this Bullseye series. My name is Leanne Friesen, and I'm the lead pastor of Mount Hamilton Baptist Church, so just up the road from all of you in Hamilton. But I actually grew up in a small town in Newfoundland, as you may have heard me mention in my podcast, where I attended from the moment I was born a long-standing, very close family church uh, for my entire life in that small town. And like many really country churches at the time, it had that typical building makeup of being just kind of one giant rectangle. At the bottom, there was a kitchen and a meeting space, and the top floor was the sanctuary or worship space, which was accessed through a giant set of concrete stairs outside the building. Now, as a kid, I loved those big stairs we would play red light, green light on them when we would wait for our parents to pick us up from Sunday school. But when I got older, there was something that happened that made me realize those stairs were far from ideal. And that was that my dad fell off a roof. He had been helping a friend of his shingle his roof when he lost his balance and he fell, landing on his feet on concrete and shattering his heels and his ankles so badly that the doctor said there wasn't even a piece of bone big enough left to weld together. He was told that he might never walk again and that his recovery would be at least a year, much of which would certainly be spent in a wheelchair. Well, now those giant concrete stairs were a problem. My dad, who had been involved in this church his entire life, would not be able to get into this building, would not be able to join his church family to worship together as he so loved to do. But then the people of the church did something. They built a ramp. There was a small side door with a rickety set of wooden stairs barely used that led to a bit of a lower section in the sanctuary. And before my dad even got out of hospital, a group of men gathered and tore those stairs down and built a very long ramp so that on Sunday mornings, my dad could gather with his church. And for months as he recovered and he did fully recovered, someone will be there to meet him each week so they could bring him into this space to worship with others. Now, the reason I tell that story today is because I want to both ask and answer a question. I've called this sermon, Did the Ramp Matter? And we might all wonder a little bit about that question. After all, my dad was still a Christian, whether or not he joined his church family on a Sunday morning. He could still pray. He could read his Bible. He could do devotions at home. He could watch, he could watch worship services on television, which there were lots of at the time. He could worship through our many different recordings that we had at home, you know, tapes and records then. And he could also even play himself. He had a guitar and piano, both of which he could play. The reality was that he could absolutely continue to have a relationship with Jesus that was real and authentic without going through all the hassle of getting in our car, getting in a wheelchair, getting up that ramp and the pain it often caused him to do so. So why did it matter for him to do all that? I think it mattered for lots of reasons. I think it mattered that he gathered with his church family still just like I think it matters for all of us to gather with other believers. I realize we may struggle with that idea. Many of us may not agree. 
we may think that, well, we, we can be a Christian. We can follow Jesus very much on our own. For others, we may think that that's actually a necessity because gathering with other believers or the experience of church or communal gatherings may have even been painful for some of us. But in this series, you have been exploring what it means to live in the Jesus-centered way, or you might have been calling it as well, the centered with a centered set theology. And from a Jesus-centered perspective, I want to say that the ramp absolutely matters, that gathering with others matters, that being the church matters. In this way of seeing our gatherings, we recognize the church as a place of encouragement. And that's what I want to share more about. Now, to begin, I want to look at how church can sometimes be viewed in what you've heard called the bounded set. And, and if you're not familiar with this bounded versus centered set thinking, you can absolutely go back and listen to some of the wonderful sermons that have been shared before. But in this bounded set way of thinking, the Bible is very much a rule book. And in this way, in this way of thinking, church can basically become about following the rules and making sure everybody else follows the rules. And so a bounded set perspective on worshiping together can be about ticking off a religious to-do list, i.e. I went to church this week, good for me, now I'm good with God, nailed it, or behavioral control, neither of which are very life-giving. To simply show up to church in order to complete a task it can become rote, boring, meaningless, burdensome. But when church becomes a place where we are simply experiencing evaluation and some sense of if we've made it or not, if we're good enough or not, that can actually be dangerous and hurtful. I remember a number of years ago, a woman telling me about her journey to finding Christ. She was raised in a home with absolutely no interest in any form of religion. But for some reason, as a teenager, she felt this longing in her heart to find God. And she figured maybe I should go to church. And so she went to a church near her home and she explained that she did somehow know that if I go to church, I think I'm supposed to dress up. So she put on the nicest clothes that she owned and all on her own went to this church, which is very brave. And she was confused most of the service. But the moment that she most remembered was as she was leaving, a gentleman came up to her all a flutter, very stern look on his face, and he shook his finger at her. And he said, you should not be in church with a skirt that short. You can't wear skirts that short to church. And she was so ashamed and so embarrassed that, of course, she never went back. Not for a long time. Now, of course, God is faithful and continued to pursue her. And she did ultimately meet Christ. But that experience was such a turnoff. And many of you may have had experiences like these too. This sense that church was a place where we sought to make sure we measured up. We did a certain duty. We were gauging how good people were doing at one thing or another. And there's a reason that this happens because in the bounded set, we're often afraid. We are afraid of what will happen to our own salvation if we're not monitoring what's happening around us. And so for this gentleman, this fear of what maybe would happen to him if he allows this sin in a church or what, what this could mean, that somehow there's this fearfulness that by allowing certain things to continue or not, not living up to a certain standard, that it will somehow also impact us. And so the church can often be a place of 
evaluation. And we've gotten really good at making sure we do that very well in many contexts. Most of us will know that. A number of years ago, a researcher named David Kinneman wrote a book about a study that he had done of churches all over. It was in the United States. Um, it wasn't of churches, excuse me. It was of people's view of churches. He asked those who were not involved in church what they thought of Christians. And the number one answer, I believe it was 85%, what people said about Christians was they were judgmental. We've really mastered being evaluative places, being the places that will measure and mark how people are keeping up. And besides the fact that we can then experience church as a place of evaluation, what that means is it then naturally puts us in the role of evaluators. And we're put in the place of making sure others stay in line. But then we're also naturally, I think, evolving into this situation where we become evaluators of church, of Christian gatherings. And so we have, I think almost logically, become assessors of church communities, determining if we should gather in a church community based on whether it meets our standards. We've become consumers of church, determining if a community is good enough for us and if not, moving on. We weigh churches based on standards of if the children's ministry is good enough, if the music is what we like, or does the preacher too long, or are there enough people my age here? You can actually grade churches now with a review, just like you would a local restaurant or coffee shop. Three stars for the speaking, four stars for the parking lot. You can Google your own church anytime to see how it has been evaluated. My guess is something will feel very off about it. Because this too is a burden, a burden of the bounded set. This is not a church of joy. And why would we build a ramp to something like that? Why would people want to climb a ramp to gather in a place where they will be evaluated, where they will evaluate others? Why would we find joy in being anywhere that's less than five stars if the evaluations doesn't measure up? Because those why questions are so hard. I believe we need to turn then to the Jesus-centered way. And just as the Jesus-centered way changes so much of how we see the Bible, salvation, how we live our faith, it also gives us a different view of the gathering of the people of God. When we move from churches as a place of evaluation to churches as a place of encouragement. I think when we're looking at the Jesus-centered way, we should start with Jesus always. And so when I look at Jesus, I, I think it's important to acknowledge he never talks about church as we call it, churches per se, but yet we see him always inviting people to community, always. This was his MO. When he called his disciples, they were invited into a community of people. When they're sent out, they're sent out two by two, and then they come back. And there's so many incidences of him explaining to people what it means to follow him as being part of something they will do together. There's a story of two sisters named Mary and Martha, and he's visiting their home. and says Martha's in the kitchen doing quite logically the work that needs to be done when Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet learning, that this action of learning. When Martha comes out and says, make my sister come and help me. I resonate with Martha a lot, to be clear. And in that moment, Jesus says, you know, Martha, Mary's pick the better thing. Martha, who is with such good intentions, so eager to measure Mary's behavior, to evaluate it as good or bad and to demand a difference, 
is reminded to come and join a community sitting at Jesus' feet, which Jesus says is the better thing that Mary has chosen. When Jesus is entering a town and he sees a man named Zacchaeus in a tree because he's short, trying to see him, he invites him into community. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And the people, the Jewish people at the time hated tax collectors. They were seen as those who had betrayed their people because they collected money for Rome, who, uh, were, who were now in charge of that area. And so this was considered such a traitorous thing to do. And he would have been so isolated from his Jewish roots. And so in this moment when Jesus says, I see you, Zacchaeus, and I'm going to come to your house, I'm going to eat. We're going to gather in community. When a woman who has been bleeding, it says, for so much of her life, crawls to reach out to Jesus. She's, there's a crowd pressing around her. She doesn't even have the wherewithal, the sense that she could talk to Jesus. She says, I'm just going to touch the hem of his robe. She touches this hem and she's healed. And then Jesus turns around to look for her. This is my favorite Bible story. Because it's not enough for Jesus to let her be healed. He says, where's the woman who touched me? And everyone says, you see the people pressing against you. How can you ask who touched me? And he wants, says, Jesus keeps looking to see who has done it. And see, she assumes she's in trouble. So she comes before him shaking and trembling and confesses. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. As a woman with a bleeding disorder, she would not have been allowed in a place of worship for all that time. She wouldn't have been allowed to touch people. People couldn't have touched hers. She was removed from her community. Jesus calls her daughter, and he does not let her just be healed. He invites her back in. There were lots that valued gathering in that time, that valued the community, but it had often evolved to a place of evaluation. There's a passage of scripture that reminds us of this. Jesus is talking to the crowds with the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, people at the time who were very concerned with evaluation, with good intentions, to be clear. They really did not want to let God down. And Jesus says to them, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders but they're not willing to lift a finger to help them. Everything they do is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be treated with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Isn't that amazing? He reminds them here, listen, these people, they're trying to get it right, but they're so concerned with the rules. It's like they're putting a weight on other people and they're always trying to be above others. But you, you're all going to be family to each other. You are going to be part of my community. And this is his intention for his community, not places of evaluation, but places of encouragement. In the Jesus-centered way, Christian communities are places where we are encouraged to come and meet Christ. Places where we will say, let's take this journey together. Places with others that will help us on the road that will say, let's follow Jesus and figure it out as we go together. And this is why I know some people are going to say, but what about sin? 
We still need to be calling people out. This causes some people to panic, this fear that we'll let bad things in. But the interesting thing is even in uh, naming if people are off a path that will lead them to Christ, it's still supposed to be done in an encouraging way. In Galatians 6, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Then it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That doesn't sound like evaluation to me. It sounds like encouragement. It sounds like, let me help you even in your struggles. And so in this model, we don't become evaluators, but now we're encouragers. And sometimes we might wonder, you know, do we need to go to church for me? Maybe not for me. Maybe you don't need to go for you in some ways if you can justify that. But we may need to be there for others. What about if there's someone in a church community that leads you that there's something God has for you, from you for others. What about if it's not our job to reevaluate the ramps, but to build them? In this way of seeing church, we are both ramp builders and ramp receivers, so to speak. We're there for others who need us just as much as we need them. And we can see that the early church held on to this value. Those people who had spent time right with Jesus and then went on to start forming church communities show us this model of living in loving communities. And these are churches that are facing some really difficult things. They are being persecuted. They are just a small minority amongst a world that has no interest in the way of Jesus. And nowhere in any of the letters of the New Testament written to these struggling communities does it say, listen, just give up. Just focus on you and Jesus. Just get you and Jesus right. Go read your scroll at home. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says, let us hold on swervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is written to a church in struggle. And I love how one author describes the book of Hebrews. He wrote, this is a letter to a community whose faith is in danger. And he will emphasize the need for believers to stay together. He's like, listen, things are hard out there, so don't give up meeting together. You need to encourage each other. You need to be together. That word for meeting together in the original Greek is episynagoge. We might recognize the word synagogue as a place of gathering for worship, a term they would have known. Scholars debate what that epi is doing there at the beginning. That's how Greek words, things get added to the words. They get bigger and bigger to change the meaning. And the sense is that it's a certain type of gathering these Christians were having. But it's very clear that it speaks to an intentional gathering and very much a communal gathering. Again, an author says, the mutual care the author has recommended here in this setting cannot be sustained unless members of the Christian community meet to encourage and exhort one another. It's like, you're not going to be able to do this if you don't get together. You need to get together and encourage each other. And so there's even this urgency here. He says, you need to do this all the more as the day is approaching. And this, the day is when Christ returns. And they are so eager for Christ's return. They says, Christ is coming soon. Meet all the more. You need to do this all the more. And I have to say that when we say, let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, and all the more, for all the reasons it's so easy for us still to give up, all the more, because we've just been two, through two years of a pandemic. 
and why online is nice. And some of us will still need that for a season, and that is a very meaningful gathering for many health reasons and so on. And while having Sundays off is nice, while staying in our pajamas on a Sunday is nice, while maybe lingering a little longer over coffee is nice, we need to get together all the more. Of course, you're still going to be a Christian if you don't gather in church, but it's also been really hard and really lonely, and we feel the separation. And while there may be some freedoms we may claim to feel, it's also so much harder to do it alone. And there are still people who need you to help them up the ramps because they are looking for God and they need a community to find God and encourage them and help them do it all the more in a world where community is so hard to find and all the more in a setting where people feel isolated from church and they feel like maybe they've lost connection over this time. And we need to gather all the more in this time when church has been so hard because so many terrible things have come out that have been part of our church experiences. Because we've heard about things like the church's role in residential schools. Because we hear scandal after scandal and we are exhausted. And if some of you are like me, sometimes it is embarrassing to say you're part of the church. And I totally understand why people would say, I don't want to be part of that thing anymore. And that's why we need to gather in our local community with our community, our people, all the more, all the more. Many would say, just burn it all down, right? Who could blame them with all that's happened? Why be a part of this thing? The truth is the world has evaluated us and we have been found wanting. But as Hebrew reminds us, this is actually why you need each other. It's why we keep gathering because it is hard, because we face dangers, because we sometimes blow it and we have to keep working together because we have been isolated and we have struggled because maybe we've fallen off a roof. And we need to remember that we're not alone, which is all the more reason to build ramps, ramps to real communities, ramps for people who are hurting and ramps for people who need to be part, not of an institution, but of a community of God, ramps for people who need to be encouraged of us saying, I know you don't know where God is anymore, but let's help find him together. We won't always get it right, but we keep going. The truth is the church that I was a part of Struggled a lot too. In that era that they built my dad the ramp, we had just come out of a season of great pain in our church. We had had a church conflict that had lasted for several years and had wounded all of us deeply. There were times that I remember fantasizing as a 14 year old about getting up one Sunday in church and standing in the pulpit and saying, this isn't what church is supposed to be because there were so many hurt feelings. And I watched my church struggle through these places of pain and somehow still figure out what it meant to build ramps so they could keep learning it together. And when my dad needed a ramp, they did it. God kept healing that place. And then there came a time when I really needed a ramp too. It was 20 years later and my dad actually had another accident, far worse than this last one. He was out in boat, a small fishing boat with my two nephews who were 16 and 14 at the time when he collided with a much bigger boat and all three of them were gravely injured. My oldest nephew experienced a blood clot on his brain and spent over a week in a coma. We did not know if he would live or ever wake up. My dad broke his back. 
My other nephew had a number of serious injuries and was also in an ICU. And for two weeks, we just went from room to room, from hospital bed to hospital bed, just hoping God would get us through. It was so hard and extra hard because just three months before, my eldest sister had died after a long battle with cancer. And I have to tell you that after my sister died, I was struggling so much, but I felt God near me, you know, and I remember thinking, no, God is with me. And I remember when I heard about this accident, just looking at God and saying, you have got to be kidding me. And that's how I felt. I felt like I've done real good. Like I have not turned my back on you when my sister died and I do not understand. And now we have to deal with this. I had nothing left and I knew we needed to pray, but my friends, I found it really hard. And that's when that church that is still so dear for me built me a ramp. Because every day, as we waited for my nephew to wake up, which he did, and for them all to recover, which they did, I would walk into my dad's room and I never walked in without finding someone from that church praying. They would drive an hour from our small town to the city where he was. And I, would, I got used to opening the door as quietly as I could because I knew I would interrupt another prayer meeting. God had healed this community, had knit them back together. And as they started and kept building ramps, they were doing it again. They were building a ramp for me. And when I couldn't pray, they could pray for me and they could pray for us. And they could bring me to the God that I was really struggling to talk to. And I will always be grateful. That's why we need the ramps. That's why we need our churches to be places of encouragement because as they were centered on Jesus, as they stopped looking at evaluating each other, which they'd done for years, as they said, we need to look at Jesus again, they were able to build the ramps for so many that needed it. I know some of you right now have a million different reasons that you struggle to be part of a faith community. Some of you will love your faith community differently, very deeply, and we need all of you. And the truth is, sorry, Southridge, it doesn't have to be this church. It doesn't have to be my church. It doesn't have to be a big church. It doesn't have to be a small church. It doesn't have to meet on Sundays. It doesn't have to meet in a building. But we do need each other. We need to do faith together. And when we are centered on Jesus, we do that so we can encourage one another in the Jesus-centered way. And for that reason, we need ramps. Ramps so that people can come and be part of the family of God. When we build these ramps... We may miss the mark in a thousand ways, but somehow we'll always hit the bullseye. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us your church. Lord, we acknowledge how hard it can be. We acknowledge those things which distract us. We acknowledge that it is sometimes hard to be together, but Lord, help us to receive the gift you've given us and help us to be the church that you have called us to be, a place of encouragement as we seek you together. In Jesus' name, amen.